Hello and welcome to today's BJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, leading experts Robin Sanderson and Tobias Menet discuss lymphoma treatment and CAR-T therapy in the UK. Morning, I'm Robin Sanderson. I'm a CAR-T consultant at King's College Hospital in London. Um, I'm a BSH and we're going to talk about CAR-T today. And I'm Tobias Menne. I'm consultant hematologist at the Freeman Hospital in Newcastle and I'm the CAR-T cell lead. So I think we're going to talk about the CAR-T session we had yesterday. Um, we, there was some presentation of some French um, and some UK data. Um, we discussed the most recent uh, ASH publication, ASH abstract from the UK data, where we talked about CAR-T toxicity. It's always interesting to see this, the, the readout from the real-world data series now. Uh, I, think the, I think we could be proud of the UK data series. The outcomes look good. Um, but also the toxicity, from my perspective, is really very interesting. We're seeing a lot less real-world toxicity than we were expecting, which is what I think we, we see in, in our clinical practice. Um, but it's also interesting to explore the use of um, anakinra and the fact that steroids does not affect overall survival and progression-free survival in our uh, cohort. Um, what did you think of the Descar data that was presented? I think it was actually very interesting. And Steve Legault presented it, who shared the hall and who started the study. And he presented the data, which he already had presented at ASH. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's now some additional updates um, also from Emmanuel EBT. And they have done initially, they looked just at axial and tisogen cohorts, but kept them separate. Mm -hmm. But then they did further analysis, propensity score analysis, which is kind of best way of trying to and compare them directly because obviously there will be never a phase three study comparing to such versus axisal and they could show that with, if you use axisal you had improved PFS but now also overall survival advantage compared to tisogen but there was increased toxicity there was increased rates of patients who developed cytokine release syndrome neurotoxicity and also grade 3 cytokine release syndrome and grade 3 neurotoxicity so you have to always accept this if you consider giving a patient access cell there's a higher chance of getting significant toxicity compared to decision but overall you appear to get an improved pfs and overall survival including in patients who are above 70 up to the age of 75 on further sub analysis in their cohort of nearly 500 patients they now treated on commercial product so i think that's quite informative and it's obviously also something we've seen from your data that um, it's quite clear that if you compare tisogen and axisal, there's a difference in toxicity. Yeah, definitely. And um, your data look very interesting in the way how we now manage them compared to the original data. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, I mean, what do you think is the main reason why our toxicity is improved? I mean, we're obviously giving a lot more steroids, aren't we? I think compared to the, cl the pivotal clinical trials. And we don't see toxicity from sort of CAR-T death that we don't see like cerebral edema and, and these sort of things but we see we see different sorts of problems the non-relapse mortality post access cell is is interesting because there's a lot of infections and I think some of the complications probably do relate to steroids so I think we're much better at controlling CAR-T toxicity but steroids as we all know have their own side effects but it, it was it's also reassuring that that does not pan out um, as a as a as a problem with the, our overall survival and progression free survival data what's interesting about the French setup is just how, how um, 
how, how, how good setup they actually have in France for collecting the data and how much help they get doing it. I mean, it would be great if uh, we yeah, had. I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is. I mean, they have actually. And this is something I only realized in the last six months. They have their own CIO, which runs all their studies for the lymphoma group in the in France, and they actually have two hundred people monitors, data managers, finance people. So they're running their studies, and so the Descartes study is a run a study run by them, financed by the companies, where they look and they include every patient because one of the requirements is if you give CAR T-cells to the patients, they need to be registered onto the study. Mm -hmm. And so they um, get really high quality data. They have monitors going out, monitoring 30 to 50% of all the clinical notes. So the data are just like proper um, study. And so the data they have are just uh, brilliant and, and they're um, really informative. And this is why they're able then to do this kind of propensity score analysis because they have all the um, important parameters to use. And that's something we probably should learn from and think yeah. about how we can potentially copy them in the future. And I, I think that's very important. And I think, regards the toxicity, I think the other thing is I. When I started, I can remember, I was scared to give tocolizumab until mm. they were already close to grade three because I was always worried that you might interrupt T-cell expansion. But I think we got a bit better in realizing actually it's not as important. Yeah. And you can start to give <coughs> tocolizumab earlier. You don't need to wait until they're close to getting grade threes. And, and so we started to give it typically grade twos, but much earlier grade twos. And we have given it also during COVID times for grade one patients. Yeah. When do you nowadays give it? So, so generally grades two, but yeah, I, I, I feel quite reassured now in giving it even grade one in patients who, are, who have lots of comorbidities. I mean, what's really reassuring about all the real world data now is, is that we can manage CAR T toxicity safely. And that, that's what's so different compared to the beginning of the program when we were all learning. And now, you know, I, I feel very comfortable talking to a patient about CAR T toxicity and, and the things that we would do and, and, and confident that we would be able to control it. Exactly. And I think and now you have nowadays a field of patients who, are, who potentially could die from the procedure, the ones who have lots of tumor burdens. Mm, yeah. And so there, we often go in earlier because we know that they will, if you don't stop the CIS going completely haywire, you need to go in with, earlier with, um, with tocolizumab steroids when they have already grade one, grade twos. And I think this is how we're preventing nowadays people going to intensive care unit and people dying from the procedure. Yeah, because the, the cohorts, when we looked at the, the NCCP national toxicity cohort, uh, one of the interesting findings for, for me is we, we identified real world risk factors for severe toxicity. So they would be a poor performance status, a high LDH on infusion day, and people who are progressing um, through bridging. And these, these to me are just simple, useful ways of identifying high risk patients for, for CAR-T toxicity. And they're also the, the same risk factors for people that don't do very well with CAR-T itself. So those patients, yeah, there's probably a bit a bit to work on on how we get the, the, the highest risk, the sickest patients patients through. But it's, it's just useful having these clinical um, tools to just be able to identify certain patients. Absolutely. And I think the pathway has changed. And we started also to use more Anakinra. And mm -hmm. I, I know you have done it as well. So when, when we have two or three doses of tocolizumab, 
charisma, we start to go in with Anakrina. We notice that if you give three or four doses, there's not really a significant difference. So we start to use Anakrina a bit earlier. And I don't know if this is helping or not. I mean, there's not a clear yeah. evidence, but you obviously in your cohort, there was 20 or 30 patients. That yeah, the, the national cohort, yeah, there's quite a lot, but obviously we're not, we, haven't, we haven't looked at it in a, in a, in a trial. We're just sort of looking back. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly there's a lot of anachronism experience in the UK now, and, and, and that seems to be helpful, but yeah, it hasn't been put yeah. together in a trial there was format. There's an interesting study published at ASH where they used anachronism. It's prophylaxis. It's prophylaxis, yeah. and it, it looks potentially promising and you can see why how it could help and perhaps in the future we might use anachrona yeah. much earlier than and i suppose the appeal of it is it's sort of like a steroid sparing agent isn't it and that's that and it, even that in principle seems to be appealing to me and it's subcut it's much cheaper than tocolism yeah it's so a lot, there's yeah. a lot of things why it could become perhaps in the future the thing and probably more we need more studies so this is was very interesting there was also a very interesting talk from andrea kunle mm -hmm. on patients who we would regard frailer, not fit for transplant. And I thought this data were very interesting. Obviously, they come from your trust. What, do you, what did you think about them? Yeah, again, it's sort of reflecting what we've been doing in clinical practice, that we've been pushing CAR-T to, to an older age range and, and that it, actually they do have a very good outcome. But I think what she highlighted was if you get to, in, if these sort of patients get to infusion, they do very, they have a good chance of doing as well as you would hope. But there was a higher drop off in patients getting to infusion. Yeah, so yeah. That, that period of time bridging is obviously very crucial, isn't it? Um, no, absolutely. And I think this is where you probably need to still be better in selecting the right patients who you think you will be able to bridge and then get to the transplant. But the outcome data for those who were, had did not transplant, had the CAR T cells, were, were identical, really. The yeah. curves didn't really look significantly yeah. different to the cohort which we would regard as fit. So I think this is very promising. And I think this is real world data now everywhere that you can give CAR T cells to 75-year-old patient. You potentially even can give it up to patients of 80 years as mm -hmm. long as they are fit enough. Yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've gone up to 81 and it's obviously a very selected group, yeah. but uh, yeah. We are, our oldest is now 79. Mm -hmm. And then we have two another at 76, so you can do it, but you need to be careful about this once you need to, they need to be relatively fit. So I think, I think the message to refer is really is, is there is definitely this sort of transplant ineligible CAR-T eligible group. And if there's a question about, about whether they think patients are fit enough, then we're happy as CAR-T physicians to see patients early and to help guide people down that pathway if we think it's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so what we actually nowadays, absolutely, what we actually tell all our referring centers, if a patient is fit enough for our shop and tolerated our shop reasonable well, Mm -hmm. They should be fit enough for CAR T cells. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. this kind of idea that they need to be transplant eligible and be able to go through beam transplant is not really the case. Patients do they have significantly less serious toxicity, I would say. Yeah, and one discussion that I felt I feel like you have in MDTs a lot is 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 with elderly patients. Should you give them R chop or R mini chop? And now I say, well, you have to give them R chop if you in any way want to consider them for further therapies later on, because we know that that's an eligibility criteria as part of, as part of the national CAR-T panel sets it. So in a way, that's quite helpful advice to give to, to, to referrers, isn't it? You know, it's a reason to give full dose R chop. Yeah, it? no, absolutely. And, and I, we normally would always give R chop to everyone above below 80 our mini chop normally for them above 80s but we have started to give some our chop yeah. in case keep, keep options open keep options open exactly I think that is very important and obviously 
we have now established that we can deliver CAR T cells and we can deliver it across the country and we need to get all patients really referred to the appropriate CAR T cells and as soon as possible. And there will be more CAR T cell centers opening in the future. Yeah. So uh, there's quite a lot of things happening in the CAR T cell mm -hmm. world and in the lymphoma world. We've seen now the Zuma 7 data, which were presented at ASH. What is your feeling about CAR T cells using in second line treatment once they have failed ARCHOP chemotherapy? I mean, personally, I'm, I'm keen. I, I feel like particularly these high-risk patients, like the primary refractory to ARCHOP, obviously we go through salvage and we go through the appropriate steps at the moment, but it just feels sometimes a, a bit like we're going through the motions just to get them to CAR-T. I just can't really think of many patients who were primary refractory to ARCHOP that ended up having an autograft in my recent practice. So why not bring it forwards if the data is, is, is good, which I, I, mean, I, I think it is. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think... The Zuma 7 data look certainly promising in the PFS. There's a significant difference in PFS and EFS, and which was a primary endpoint. In the overall survival, they did not yet say, show a clear separation. Mm. There was a separation, but this wasn't yet significant. I think this is something where NICE will look at it, and they need to probably show an overall survival advantage, yeah. because they could argue, <coughs> otherwise you can always give CAR T cells a third line. But I, the curves are separating, so I wouldn't be surprised if they do follow up. Yeah. There will be separation. And at the same ASH meeting, there was also a proof of concept with a different construct called Lysocell, which showed the transform study, mm. which showed the same thing. And there, the overall survival is already separating yeah. quite clearly. So I think in the f I cannot see that in the future, I would assume that at some point we'll be doing it. Yeah. We will do it and it will become second line treatment. And, and then the Vitvicar T cells will just become the standard second line salvage treatment. When exactly it's not clear, I think that. England is discussing it, NICE is discussing it around yeah. summer and they expect a decision in September, I think. But yeah, it's later in the year, yeah. So probably potentially beginning of next year, we might be able to give CAR T cells a second line treatment. I suppose it's important to highlight it's not all second line patients, is it? It's, yeah. it's people who, who relapse within, uh, primary refractory or relapse within 12 months. So I think, you know, the 12 lymphoma... months after they completed their treatment. So is it 12 months? That's a completion, yeah. I was, this, this, was in the study. this was in the study. So yeah. because the original call data looked at 12 months outcomes after a diagnosis where they showed that people within 12 months did significantly worse than those who relapsed after 12 months. But in the, in transform and in accident, it's 12 months after they completed their job chemotherapy. So it's a factor. It's one and a half years from the time mm -hmm. of diagnosis, which is the majority of patients. If you relapse, you typically will relapse in the first one and a half years. So I, it would completely change the way we would not use autographs anymore, except for those who relapse later on. Yeah. And I, I think this will be interesting. And, and it's not just CAR T cells and DLBCL, but we obviously, mantle cell has just has been approved, but follicular lymphoma is due to be discussed as nice. Yeah, anticartosin um, and ALL is also yeah, due to be discussed this year. Yeah, ALL this year, so there's a lot of things happening where commercial might become available. And then obviously the big one is myeloma, which is also discussed this year. If myeloma becomes available, then we might have problems with capacity.
how do you think we will be able to manage if, if all these indications get approved yeah. how will we be able to deliver this treatment in the UK that's a that is a very good question isn't it I mean we need business cases and we need a bit of service expansion because uh, you know if all of these CAR T indications get approved that is a, a huge amount uh, you know more more work for, for and us in a very I, good way of course yeah hey, this very uh, good. And, and it, I was fascinated by the French that they currently have 36 centers already running as CAR T cell mm -hmm. centers and France has the same population as we have and we currently have 12 centers yeah, oh, yeah. When you think about and it, we yeah. only have another 12 potential centers, the allograft centers who could burn, so we could go maximum up to 24 centers. But we still won't be at that number then. Yeah. So it will be it will be very difficult. So the and and the French, this was very interesting. They also allow autograft centers to become cartesian mm -hmm. centers, and it's perhaps something we will have to discuss. And Nice has to and NHS England has to decide if they would ever allow autograft centers mm -hmm. to become cartesian centers because at the moment. And a decision was made that only allograft centers can become CAR T cell centers. I suppose the challenges with the quality and JC and all these sort of things, it's, it's, it's not just straightforward to just start, is it? You know, there's no. lots of things you need to be able to do. Yeah, you, you need to do this. And that's something And uh, JC um, needs to go through the process. They need to be approved. And that's something. But I, I think it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Obviously, it's a big, interesting story, and which is not yet for me clear, and that no one yet knows this how bi-specifics will affect mm -hmm. the management of lymphoma patient and that's yeah it's of an unknown isn't it and and um andrew mcmillan the chair he, he asked that question didn't he um to stick to steve and uh, he didn't really you know you can't you can't really answer the question because there's no there's no head-to-head -head, so it's, it's going to come down to a clinical judgment at the end isn't it yeah and i think i i think it will take some time before they will ever do some direct comparison between mm -hmm. car t cells and bi-specific so i think what will be really crucial that we get really good real-world data mm -hmm. from patients treated with CAR T-cells, but also patients treated with bispecifics. Yeah. And that based on this one, you can then get do some form of comparison to just get a feel, because I think it will be very interesting to figure out the sequencing in the future, how we, how yeah. we sequence these different treatments. And the UK and France are very well um, positioned to answer those sort of real-world questions, because you know the, the denominator is more accurate, isn't it? Because we you know, offer these treatments to all of our where I think US real world series probably it's a bit more selected so you know I think that's an advantage for our, our sort of data collections. Yeah no yeah. absolutely and I think that's, that's the beauty with the French that they insist that everyone gets so it means also you get good ethnicity covering which you normally don't get in trials and mm -hmm. to, to see if they are as effective in all the different ethnic subgroups and that's something we would, would be really helpful. Yeah I agree. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemonk and subscribe to VJ Hemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.